Ever wanted a career in football? At the Global Institute of Sport, you can now study a master's degree in football business or football coaching and analysis right here in Australia. GIS is the largest provider of sports degrees in the UK with campuses at Wembley and Etihad Stadium. Learn online with unique access to the iconic MCG and a big-hitting Australian industry network. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree and join GIS's global network of football leaders. Apply now to start in February 2023. Learn more at gis.sport slash fnr. That's Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get a bad You don't have to get a bad Attaccare! Attaccare! You're listening to the dulcet sounds and beautiful noise coming from Emilio Romagna earlier this morning, about, let's say, about 13 hours ago. They, uh, that is AC Milan hoisting up the, their first Scudetto in 11 years. You've waited a decade to, to hear those sounds, haven't you, Nick? Mate, and you're letting all, everyone else know about it, that's for sure. All i got to say is it's about damn time. It's about uh, no, damn I'm, time, Lockie. I'm, I'm happy for you, man. It's I, about I really damn am. time. You're listening to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Dubano and Lockie Flanagan here. Taking you through all the weekend's action. We'll go through all the title races. Serie A, the crazy end to the Premier League season. Yeah. Unfortunately for yourself, the Scottish League Cup final. I want to hear about your experience at the Imperial. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And we'll also look ahead to this weekend's Champions League final. It seems like that's really the one of the only things kind of left this season in European football, Lockie. Yeah, it is just uh, pretty much the final frontier. I haven't... I've enjoyed um I well I enjoyed the Premier League quite a lot last night that was fun to watch obviously mm. Serie A was much less of a uh, on much less of a knife's edge it was more like a, a rolling pin's edge it was pretty right it was pretty safe it was pretty safe for Milan um especially once they got the uh, the, the goal you know through roughly hour early into the game but yeah look the less said about the the Scottish stuff the the better it was a really painful painful turn of events uh, against Rangers but um Look, Nick, as a Hearts fan, you go into games against Rage and Celtic expecting to lose, and that way you're never disappointed, and every time you win, it's a pleasant surprise. Uh, this was not one of those surprises, so that's the way it goes sometimes, you know? You win some, you lose some. Well, no, in, in Scotland, you win a few, you lose most of them. Yeah, especially <laughs> if you're a, uh, a fan of Hearts, unfortunately. Well, literally any the, club not named Rangers yeah, or, or Celtic. Celtic. But, mm. I mean, you, you push it to extra time. We'll go through all that a little bit later again. Sure. I, I want to hear about... 
mainly your experience out the Imperial. Like that sounded like you had a really fun night. I'm really sorry I wasn't able to get down, Lockie. No, no, like it was a busy night. You were, with you the were league immense, and you were too busy. You were getting preemptive sleep. Yeah, for preemptive the, for sleep the in leg. advance of the Sunday night or the Monday morning. Yes, I it guess. was the it was the Sunday just absolute slog. I mean, it was work all day. It was into TNC, getting some sleep after that. Uh, managing. How to much see. sleep did you get? Well, well. Uh, wow. <laughs> this is what happened. So yesterday I got home from Amy Park at around 9.30. I had something to eat. I watched the Collingwood highlights. I'd seen nothing, and I was very happy about that. Uh, I rolled into bed at around 10 to 11, uh, slept until about 5 to 2. I actually slept really easily before the game. I thought I wasn't going to be able to sleep at all. I was, thought I was going to be way too excited. Alarm went off, sprang out of bed. But you know those first few minutes when you, you have to fight off the initial stages of sleep? Oh, yeah, massively. And you just need to, like, power through those first few minutes. But you get through those first few minutes, you'll be fine. And by that stage, once, you know, Milan, I guess, took the early advantage. That must have there been There was a, no turning back yeah, from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, let, 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 let's talk about that game. Um, before I went to sleep, I, I was seeing videos on Twitter of the Milan fans taking over um, taking over the, the train station in oh, Milan. Oh, yeah, I saw that. that. That looked amazing. It just made me think, oh, my God, I really want to be there. Um, they were playing away against Sassuolo, but out of the 22,000 seats that they've got there, apparently there were 18,000 Milan fans. So it was basically a home well, game. It on certainly the road. sounded that way when when the goals went. Yeah. Um, so I think Suswalov just kind of took the L. They they get the ticket sales anyway, but they were just like, oh, we've got nothing to play for. Like, just I let guess them. you could say uh, Suswalov fans, no tickets, no tickets, no tickets, no tickets for the Suswalov fans. But um, in the end, uh, it was a very nervous start for those who haven't seen the highlights. Milan did everything but score in like the first twenty twenty five minutes. Um, you know, chances cleared off the line, you know, opportunities just being saved, going wide. It was everything but the goal happening. Actually, it was more the first 15 because yeah, Olivier I mean, Giroud scored in the 17th minute. Yeah. And um, it was it was funny because you, you could forgive, given in the circumstances, Milan having a little bit of a a nervy start or having, yeah. a, having a wobble or something throughout this game, particularly given that, as you mentioned last week, the history that exists between these these two sides, the difficulty yeah. that you faced against the Swallow in the past. But Milan came out with a clear mission and they were not faltering. Like they were, you know, I... There was ticker. I could have, I could have definitely suspected going into this game that, oh, there might be a little bit of a... Might be a bit of a stumble. There might be a moment wherein to get their tails up a little bit, especially because they were pretty much in yeah. control in their game as well. But no, nah, there was the minute the first whistle went in this game, Milan were like, okay, we are we are winning this Scudetto. I, I like I watched the game and then watched the highlights back when I woke up in the morning. Did Sassuolo have like a single? They had a couple I can, chances. I can scarcely yeah, yeah, remember like a meaningful chance Magnon, that they had. Manuel made a though. couple saves. He made a save, uh, like in the end of the first half-ish, and then he made another saving junk time. And but that was but for it. the most part, like it was, it was it Milan really were tested. peppering, Look, the, the, peppering XG, the goals. There were 18 shots to 15, but Milan's XG was 3.42 and Sassuolo's was 
Milan just peppered the goals. And in the end, Olivier Giroud with two goals, Franck Kessie with one, all those three goals happening in the first 36 minutes. Raphael Liao with three assists. He was unplayable on that yeah, left-hand side. He and was he's, just he's unbelievable. ended up taking out player of the year yes, as well. And rightly, and so. Right, yeah, rightly yeah. so. Double-digit goals, double-digit assists. I mean, th- thinking back to the last, what, sort of two to three games that we've been following of Milan in the, in the time that I've been on this show, and pretty much all of those games he's been instrumental, like the yeah. assist that he got. I can't remember which game it was. A couple of weeks ago. Oh, uh, for Tenali, yeah, against Verona, Verona yeah. for, for Tenali. Like it was literally just his run down the left and then the cut across the face. All the goal. goals were the same. It was all the same play. Yeah. It was cutbacks and, you know, there was one, I think it was for Giroud's second where he was had two players on him, but he just managed to keep his balance. Yeah. Get right to the touchline, But touch it was line, like it all back. of this, this stuff down the last stretch has been yeah. orchestrated by him. He's an amazing player. And he's only 22. He's 22, yeah. I couldn't, and I could not believe that. I'm not going to lie. There was a part when he first signed for Milan, he looked very raw. There was there was definite ability, but it was going to take time. But he has grown this season immeasurably you know, I'm, as a left winger. And Stefano Pioli has unlocked that, especially with the way Milan play, looking to play off the break. It suits him perfectly. And he's only going to get better, which is quite scary. Well, you know, I, I remember a time once, uh, it might have been an e- episode of Breakfast on FNR. So it would have been like two years ago now yeah. where we had you on. I think it was me and Athos, maybe me and Josh Parrish. But we had you on to discuss the Milan game. And I remember very distinctly coming, uh, clashing with you over Raphael over and yeah. being very insistent that he w- was not... Like didn't have the, the the facilities to be a central striker necessarily. No, no. And as you very rightly pointed out, since that point, Stefano Pioli has has recognised what he's got on offer, shifted him more traditionally out to that yeah. sort of left hand side. And I think it's safe to say it's paid dividends. There was a worry uh, that, and my brother and I were talking about this this afternoon that we both felt that he was going to end up like another Mbaye Niang. Very similar players when they arrived at Milan, very raw players. Strikers coming through the junior ranks, moved out to the left but never fulfilled their potential show glimpses. But in the end, it never worked out for them. But Stefano Pioli's been able to unlock something in Liao, and I think it's not even just Stefano Pioli. I think it's with the players he works with. I mean, the impact, and we'll talk about this in a sec on a more broader note, but Zlatan Ibrahimovic you can't have a better mentor than that, right? Like an Olivier Giroud, guys who set the standard have helped him mature because yeah. he was a very immature player when he arrived at Milan. There was questions about his mentality. Milan almost sold him after a season because I was that worried about his mentality. He almost signed for Wolves at the start of last season, the the typical Portuguese pipeline that, yes, that goes there through Jorge right, Mendes. Right, but right. in the end, he stayed and it's been the best thing that's happened for Milan and they're going to have their hands full trying to keep him in the next couple seasons because say, clubs, are, apparently Real Madrid, have him in their sights as the Kylian Mbappe plan B. The replacement. Wow. So <laughs> That feels maybe slightly generous because Mbappe is, is that good, but I can see it. Well, like, he's kind of been one of the – he's been one of the best – like in this last month, he's been easily in, the, in uh, probably the top 10 attackers in the world. I mean, I, I guess from a, look, from a, from a he, holistic. I mean, he's he, he's player of the year in a very comp- like an extremely yeah. competitive top five league. Like it's, it's hard to argue that he's not in the conversation yeah. in the realms of of what you're suggesting. Absolutely, but look, just on this game, um, the fact that 
Milan were able to close this out is so pleasing. Because there was a point, you know, I think all Milan fans felt this, you know, going into the game in particular, that the Milan of old would not win this game. The Milan of old would, would bottle this game. And there was that feeling going into Hellas Verona. There was that feeling going into Atalanta. But as you mentioned, once the game started, and once that first goal went in, because it was, if they didn't score when they did, I was a bit worried, thinking, "Oh, the further they, the more they keep us swallowing this game, the better it is for them." Milan's going to eventually start to drop their heads; they're going to find themselves vulnerable on the break. But once the damn wall burst, it was a question. It, it, to to use a, yeah. a a quote from Dennis Committee off AFL Live back in the day, it just remained to be seen by how much they yeah. would win that game in the end, because. They were all over him. They could have won that game by more. I mean, the amount of chances Milan missed. They had a fourth in the net as well. Zlatan Ibrahimovic was offside for the goal. And that would have been as well four assists for Rafael Liao too. Um, it was an incredible, incredible performance. And even when the queue went in the rack in the last 20 minutes, they were still pushing. They wanted more. Um, so in the end, when, when you look at this season as a whole, Milan have probably done this, we've said. They've probably gone a year early yeah. winning the Scudetto. But the foundations of that this squad has in terms of building blocks for next season and going forward, this team can only get better. It's a very young core. There's obvious areas that they need to need to you know address going into the offseason, namely on the right-hand side, namely at striker, namely at 10. You know, there's probably going to be a few signings at centre-back and also in the middle of, of the park. But you look at the youngsters that, that are sort of forming that core in around those positions. Teo Hernandez, Sandro Tonali, Rafael Liao, uh, Fakaya Tomori, Pierre Kalulu, Davide Calabria is still only 25. It's felt like he's been there forever. Ismail Benesse, um replaces from Kessie in that starting lineup. Um, you look as well to guys like Brahim Diaz who came off the bench this morning. There is a lot of talent in that team. And the only there's only a few players over the age of 30 and in terms of regular squad players, I mean, we don't know if Zlatan's going to come back next season, whether he'll retire or play on at Milan or another club. Simon Kier did his knee. He's a obviously... God, a, he looked a, like an absolute... He like, looked like he hadn't shaved yeah. since he did his knee. He looked like knee. Thor's cousin when yeah. he came on with the Milan shirt, too, <laughs> except the, the medal today. It looks like he'd genuinely been in a cave ever since he did his knee. Yeah. And he thought, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's some statement like, you know, for him to come back and then he comes out with that ponytail beard combo so he's for the first slowly game morphing year. into Philip Mexico. I be, <laughs> hope he not. Might be. I hope not. I hope <laughs> he can add some freakish goals, but just not the complete irrationality at the other yeah. end and getting into fights with players. But other than that, I mean Alessandro Florenzi, Junior Messias, they're both on loan deals. A lot of the rest of the team, the those guys over the age of thirty are squad players, the backup keepers. It's it's a team that is built and if they get make the right moves this offseason, they are only going to get better. They are only going to get better, which is scary to think because they have done this a year ahead of time. These players already, there's going to be more just natural development with these players, especially working in Pioli's system. It's Uh, it's exciting. And that's why I think more than any individual player, even someone like Rafael Liao, who has emerged as the player of the season in Italy at the end of the campaign, that is why no one deserves more credit for this outcome than Stefano Pioli. Because you go back to the start of this season, this is not this was not a squad and is even still not a squad that is 
predetermined for success yeah. or greatness. Like this is on paper, this is probably not even the best squad in Italy. Maybe maybe the third best best. You probably even argue maybe even outside the top four. Yeah, on ma- paper, ma- on paper, on, on, yeah. pu- pa- purely on paper, paper, on CV reputation. This is maybe the, the third fifth. or fourth, yeah, or even fifth, fifth best yeah. squad in Italy. This is not an out or like an outfit for whom success was a guarantee at the start of this season. There's been plenty of promise over the last couple of years, but Milan fans trust issues like promise only means so much. The extent to which Pioli has able been able to not only identify players you know, who are maybe being undervalued, but then bring them in and maximize their output is unbelievable. Like even some of the names that are just springing to mind for me right now, yeah. I mean, Fikayo Tomori, oh, a player absolutely. who was on, uh, de- definitely a good player. No one was in any doubt of that, but on the outer at Chelsea and, you know, brought in Milan for a pretty reasonable price for a center back of his talent and his age and has been an excellent player for Milan. Uh, Salamakas. It was hmm. at Underlecht. It was in playing, playing in Belgium. He before. was signed because Anthony Robinson failed his medical only like hours before on deadline day. This is January twenty twenty. Yeah, and again he came from nowhere. A player who not a single person when he signed, you know, and came into San Siro would have said that is a Serie A winner right there. No one would have said that. No one would have expected that. I mean, even someone like uh, more of a role player like uh, Alessandro Florenzi, like just taken off like the off cuts of, of another club in Italy who mm. didn't want him. Yeah. Um, and he's provided like some really important goals has performed a pretty good role yeah. across this I mean, season. And uh, like, there are plenty of other players. Yeah, mate, I could go all day with yeah, that. No, yeah. so, so, so could I, but like the extent to which he has just been able to extract every last ounce of every single one of these players, even Olivier Giroud, who we need to talk about. Oh, more, we do need to talk about is, Giroud. Is part of this as well. Um, the fact that he's been able to do that, not with just a couple, but with the vast majority of this squad is a testament to his coaching quality. And I'm interested and excited to see how he approaches the next challenge in his career, which is to, to be the, the, the man at the top of the mountain and but, have other people yeah, chasing and, after him and, and how he handles that. Because I think, I mean, we're, talk, we're talking about a seriously, in my view, a seriously top manager. And there's another goal in mind Milan have European pedigree. The goal in mind has always been to restore Milan back to its former greatness. Mm. And, and you're going to be in a decent pot as well. Pot A. And that the best means, pot. Oh, absolutely, it is the best pot. Uh, you don't want to be in pot C or pot... Oh, Milan were in pot D, and that's why they got that terrible group um, mm. this season. But it's it's Pioli's story is amazing. I mean, the commentators talking about it a lot, but he gets like... He was being like chastised by his mum for years saying you haven't won anything you haven't done anything as a coach like the only tournament the only thing he won i think was like an under 17s trophy with bologna like when he first started coaching um he had failed stints at inter a very failed stint at fiorentina which almost ended his coaching career he almost got them relegated mm. um his best all he had done was i mean he took over bologna a few years ago and did a fantastic job with them he did an okay job with lazio but he'd never really been that guy. I, I remember it when he first signed for Milan. I was thinking, what are we doing? Like, this, you can't get Stefano Pioli. I mean, he hasn't done anything to suggest that he's going to turn things around. And to his credit, he's one of the best man managers in, in the game. And the players speak about, you know, the change in mentality and how he gets along so well with the players. And he sets 
realistic demands, but as you said, extract everything mm. out of his players because his players want to play for him. Every, even players from other teams have spoken about it, that he's one of the best coaches players have worked with because he, he gets to know the players on a deep level. He's able to get that out of them. And you speak about not just purely about identifying talent. This goes above them. Paolo Maldini and Ricky yeah. Masada, who came in, you know, Ricky Masada, a real stats man, data nerd, a, an eye for talent, came in with Maldini in 2019, um, you know, replacing Leonardo at the time and completely changed everything. The players they signed that 2019-20 offseason, they're the players taking them forward now. Teo Hernandez, Rafael Leal, Ismael Benacer. Oh, Hernandez is a great example of it Yeah. Too. Like you just looked at there's, there's you look through the whole squad and yeah. there's just examples of what we're talking about everywhere you look. And remember, in that first season, Pioli took over. Milan were this close, this close to getting rid of him and going down the Ralph Ranić route. Yeah. And it was actually, and I, just a cheap plug to my own Twitter, but I, I did an extensive thread about the history of Milan playing uh, Hellas Verona, Atalanta, Sassuolo, why there is so much significance in winning all those games. But the other thing that I failed to mention in all that, despite the fact that Sassuolo losses had almost bred the end of coaches and Milan wins against Sassuolo had bred the start of new careers like Donnarumma, Locatelli and Liao, who scored that six-second goal against Sassuolo. That win against Sassuolo in the restart of 2019-20 was the win that actually proved to be the catalyst to, for Milan to say, we're not going to go down yeah, the Rainier crowd. To hold, hold we're going to stick with Stefano Pioli. We're going to keep mm. going and we're not going to move on with Paolo Maldini. Ivan Gazidis at that point said, you know what, it's... I know you got your thoughts just, about Gazidis. So as well, I mean, <laughs> I just love credit, that guy's name. credit has to go to Gazidis as well because he came in and he started this with them. He's and actually, he, and yeah. he, he's, he was a bit of a joke oh, to was. many people when he came in. He and, was. I mean, oh, look what he did with Arsenal. Yeah, not yeah. a lot of people would have expected that he would preside over something like this. But yeah. I, I think, I think you've, you've really hit it there in terms of what I, the point I was trying to make before. Like, not a squad of champions, but Stefano Pioli has made them believe and realise that, in fact, they are. And it's then driven by those senior players. You know, they signed Zlatan and Simon Kier in the same off-season, mm. in the same January transfer window, and they're two guys that are winners, you know, two guys who help drive that standard, two veteran pres, two, you know, the, the veteran maybe, presence. Maybe even another person. I'd and then there's the other one. that equation. That's, you mentioned him before that they brought in <laughs> this off-season, Olivier Giroud, who started the season quite slowly. He had a few injuries, but... His run from February until now has been amazing. They're talking about extracting every ounce out of him. I mean, he's basically played every minute in that period with Zlatan on the sidelines, with Rebic on the sidelines. Mm. And he has scored in almost every big game that Milan have needed something out from him. So scored in the derby twice, you know, biggest game. That was the turning point right there. Scored away at Napoli, scored at Lazio. Scored it twice this morning. Um, I think from memory, he scored against Roma in the second meeting at home as well. So bar Juventus, he's basically scored against all the big teams in all these big games when you need someone to step up and be in the right place at the right time. And Lockie, I want to ask you this because I was having this, again, same conversation with my brother. Is Olivier Giroud the most underappreciated striker of the past decade? Considering... Where he was, I mean, coming into Arsenal from Montpellier when he won Ligue 1, came to Arsenal, big shoes to fill at the time, Robin Van Persie at the door. But there was always that sense of, you know, people always underappreciating how good he actually was, even at a national team level. 
How have you seen Olivier Giroud, I guess, from the moment he walked into Emirates to now? Do you, do you see him in that same light? Yeah, absolutely. I think he will go down as, as someone that, you know, there's, there's that sort of iconic uh, meme or joke about Olivier Giroud that always does the rounds on social media that in a, a decade's time, people will show their children clips of Giroud and they'll think he's the best player in the world or was the best player in the world because of the quality of goals that he scored. But, like, we're talking, if we actually look back and ignore the kind of joke highlights real thing, we're talking about a man who has won trophies pretty much everywhere Everywhere he's gone. gone. Like, to win the French event, yes, it was before the era of PSG dominance, but it was a very tight French competition back then. To win it with Montpellier and to be the leading goal scorer in that side, unbelievable achievement. I mean, Giroud, when he played for Arsenal, obviously Arsenal not as successful, Mm -hmm. but brought was part of a side that brought trophies back to the Gunners. We won three FA Cups. Exactly. Yeah. And and at the time, I can tell you, even that for Arsenal fans was a massive deal because it had been such a barren run. And throughout that whole stretch, he was scoring, despite the criticisms of him being, oh, not not a reliable finisher or anything like that, he was scoring 10 goals plus every season. And what's more than that is he was setting goals up for other players with his yep. sort of um, IQ, his ability to drop off the line and play first-time mm. passes in behind to wingers and wi- Very uh, intelligent midfielders football. who yep. are making um, runs on. I mean, the best example of that, his outside-of-the-foot pass in, I think it was 2013-14 for Jack Wilshere. Like the Norwich that game. Norwich yeah. goal. Like, that is something that he was capable of doing every week, ignoring the goals. Yeah. Ignoring the goals. Then you have Chelsea, Europa League. Champions Clinical League. finish in that game against Arsenal to decide the contest yep. Champions League as and well the FA and Cup. Yep. FA Cup 2 and now Milan uh, winning the Serie A there like this you cannot cannot dispute the pedigree of this man and I don't think it's a coincidence that all of these places he's been involved at have gone on to achieve uh, well not not bigger things that they had than when they started but it's not a coincidence that everywhere he's gone the sides that have been involved with him have picked up important trophies with his goals certainly contributing mm. to those runs. And you're forgetting as well. He won a World Cup. The World Cup. And, yeah. and he is nearly, he's on the cusp of becoming France's great ever, greatest ever How many ever is he behind on right now? Maybe four? I think it's like, yeah, I think it's like two or three. And he's going to do it in less games. His goal per game ratio is better than Thierry Henry for France. And mind you, Thierry Henry sometimes did play as a wide player for the national team. But a player, a striker who is considered as one of the greatest of all time and at a national level, Giroud's goals per game is comparable. I think it's even better. And also, he's going to overtake the legend, the, the king. Yeah, Thierry one Reynolds. of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's well, crazy. And I think it just, Giroud has been a victim of people having a very, some, some people having a very binary interpretation of of what a striker is and what a striker should do, which is score goals. Strikers are capable of so much more than that, and Giroud is that kind of player. But he's shown, particularly with his important goals this season, he's got the the, the finishing ability to match too. So he's scored 48 goals in 112 games for France. Thierry Henry has scored 51 goals for France in 123 games. So it goes to show that, I mean... If he can get it done in the next couple, I mean, there's a whole stack of international games in in June, which you think he's going to be part of that French. I think he already has been called up to that French side, and it's no surprise. But he's he, but, but also, he'll he'll get there, and he has been an integral. Like there, I remember conversations of people, even in the 2018 World Cup, with like, oh, why is Giroud starting when you've got 
Griezmann, Mbappe, like you can play these two together. But yeah, Giroud might not be the, the always be the scorer of goals, but he was the link man. Yeah, he was the the player that made everyone else around him oh, work. Like Griezmann is better for having Giroud nearby. Mbappe was better in that team for having Giroud nearby, and then Giroud picked up a few goals himself. So I'm just having a look at Giroud's goals this season and when they came, and it's amazing having a look at these. And understanding the gravity of each of these fixtures, it's like he did. He's like he refused to score in not important games. So, two goals in Milan's first home game of the season, right? Announcing yourself to the fans. Yeah. His next goal didn't come until a game against Hellas Verona, where he scored the goal to get them back into the game. They were down two 0 at halftime. Scored the goal to get them back into the game. A one 0 win against Torino. His goal didn't score for a while because he had a few injuries. Goal against Roma at home, always big beating Roma. Goal in the Coppa Italia against Genoa, which sent the game to extra time. Obviously, Milan ended up making the semis of said Coppa Italia. Next goal's coming in the derby. Both goals in that come from behind 2-1 win. Days later, scored a double against Lazio in the cup. Then he scored the winner against Napoli, the only goal in that Mm. game on the road. Then the next goal came against Lazio on the road, the equaliser in that game, and then two goals this morning in the clincher. It's like he just – its it, we, we talk about big game players and players being clutch, but Olivier Giroud sums that up. I mean, he's a big-time player. He, he thrives on the big occasion. We spoke to um, – well, actually, so you weren't there on Saturday night, the, the Western United Melbourne victory game, but we spoke to Alexander Prijevic about the same thing. He said he always felt that – in a big game, I wanted to be that guy. Like, I, this is what I'm, I'm there for. I want to be that mm. guy who thrives on that pressure. Is Olivier Giroud maybe of that same caliber? Maybe he just feels like he can rise to the occasion in those big games too. I, I, yeah, I think it's it's hard to argue that that um, that he's not. Like, yeah. he clearly is. I mean, you go through that, that stat sheet that you just rattled off of the teams he scored against. It's some of, if not the most important games throughout the stretch for Milan, and he's come up trumps in... Almost every single one of them. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's very hard to argue with that. And I think it's not just the the type of player he is with Giroud that I think means that people judge him perhaps unfairly, but it's also his actual sort of physical build. Like you don't Ooh. see the tall, uh, you know, bulky striker that much in world football anymore. Like it, like. Players that look like him playing up front are a dying breed, and Alex Prijevic is is yeah. a, another one of that. But the common theme between both of those two is while they're not uh, conventional in the sense of the modern game, what they bring to the other players who are more typical uh, fast, speedy players in and around yeah. the forward line, um, at least I'm like Triple M then, um, you know, what they're, <laughs> able, to the pro- what they're <laughs> able to provide to the people around them is, is just the value of that to a team uh, cannot be understated. So, so he might not be the favorite player of the average fan, but I reckon nine times out of ten, you ask their team, his forward teammates, who their favorite player is, and they're going to say Olivier Giroud. And I think he's a great guy to have around the locker room. I mean, every, it seems like everyone's getting along with him on his Instagram. They're always taking photos with Giroud. We know Giroud's. I would a, definitely a want man. him. He's a I would man. love to take a photo with Olivier Giroud if I had the opportunity. Um, but I, I got to say, look. I just Bef- love to take a photo of Olivier Giroud. Yeah. I don't even have to be in it. Before we wrap up the Milan chat, um, let's talk about the trophy presentation. Yes, please. I was because, hoping you'd say that. So the one thing so I loved, much to unpack. I was really worried when the game ended that they were just going to cut the feed and they weren't going to show the trophy presentation. I was so tired, but I was like, I have to power through this trophy presentation because there's like the lull after the game. I thought, oh, all right. 
let, let, let's power through this. And the trophy presentation started off, first of all, with we had the two um, presenters coming through, <laughs> coming through the arch. And I don't know if you saw this, but the lady on the right who's coming through didn't create enough space for herself. So she whacked her face with the trophy by accident and it was caught on the Paramount stream in the US. And you just hear all the pundits just lose it. Cause and I saw it, I thought, oh, am I the only one to pick this up? But it was just like we've seen our fair share of trophy celebration gaffes. But she tried to play it off. You know, when you like have yeah. a trip in public and you're like, hope no one saw that. But it's like the eyes of the world just saw that happen to you. But anyways. I mean I mean that gaff aside. I will admit that I went to sleep after the game and then I I realised that the trophy presentations were on... uh, The full 40 minutes of them were posted on On YouTube. On the uh, the B and YouTube channel. So I was like, I've I've got to watch watch this this, because Nick will obviously obviously have watched the whole thing in its entirety. And the level of... Especially having watched like the the Premier League stuff, like the level of pageantry... And style yeah. associated with this trophy presentation, which is unbelievable. The uh, Serie A theme uh, playing for like loop. the entire thing on a loop. <laughs> you just hear the violins just... Amazing. The fact they brought every single player out individually <laughs> and it t- and it was a long walk oh, it was from, from the players race to where the the trophy they had to shake hands with everyone set yeah. up was like a good 20 30 meters and they walked the whole way they're high five and left and right yeah. get the whole team and then they go up to join the players and they've got like you know because just just walking out it wouldn't be enough for your average player no. so then you've got people like uh was it was it uh kalulu yeah, he's he got the champagne bottle on his the, shoulder. With the champagne bottle. He's not even legal to drink in America. Over, <laughs> over the shoulder. You have Zlatan and Tiamu Bakayoko. who cigars. Look, he's been in part, an important part of the fabric of this Milan project over the years. He was a big player in seasons gone by. But yeah. since he's come in, he, he hasn't done that much. He's been that guy on the group but, project who takes the A+, even though they've but, maybe done the bibliography. But he was he was walking out there at the cigar, the peroxide out, hair the for the occasion, hair, yeah. and he was dapping up every single person that he could. <laughs> it was just amazing. You know, the, the you know commitment to art from the nation of Italy. It's just oh, ten out of ten. Respect for all the players we needed. That you know, that Stephen A. Smith meme where he's walking <laughs> through. <laughs> <laughs> they that yeah. for like each of the players. But Zlatan's one, like that was peak Zlatan. Oh, like yeah. coming out. Cigar in hand, champagne, does like the podium podium finish kind of spray, you know, arms out to the fans, you know, that you just needed pyro. Like it, it was the only thing that was missing, but it was, it was, it was great. Cause that was like the symbol. I think this, that was the symbolic end for Zlatan, you know, came to Milan and said, I want to restore him to their former glory. And he, yeah, ends and he it did the exact, exact same thing yeah. a decade ago yeah. with, with this side. It was but very like, fitting. You know the phrase not to be outdone, like when yeah. you're talking about, I feel like that phrase not to be outdone was just made for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> like anything you can do, I can do better. He is that yeah. guy. The, the, um, the other highlights from that trophy presentation was, so Alexis Salamakers trying to do the, uh, Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like I was getting ready because he loves his Instagram. I was ready for him to do like have some sort of Instagram live setup. Um, the other moment I loved was Tatarashano being first and being the only keeper to walk out with his gloves on. So and he, he was wearing, they're out. all wearing Milan jerseys. Yeah, and he he wore he had his keeper gloves still on, and I found that very symbolic 
because we spoke about his famous moment in the derby and that proved to be pivotal because he doesn't make that save. Inter's won the Scudetto. Yeah, it's true. So he maybe he's wearing those same gloves. They looked quite, you know, old and ragged. Maybe he kept them maybe it was the from gloves. November. Yeah. Um, the other one that I love, just a wholesome moment, Daniel Maldini. Third generation Milan uh, player now in the Maldini family to have won a Scudetto. Cesare Paolo pick. Yeah. going over to Paolo, his dad, and you know having a moment with him yeah. was really nice. Um, but it was, it, and then as well to end with Alessio Romagnoli, who you know he's lost his spot in the team over the last two seasons, but he was the last bastion of the banter era. He's been there through the thick and thin. He reward for sticking around for so yeah. long. He won't be there next season, but it was fitting to see him have that moment at the and, end. And and again, similar to Bakayoko in a in a sense, like hasn't featured or been as prominent this mm. season. But in terms of contributing to the fabric of this squad year on year, building the chapters that's led to what has now happened, Romagnoli is part of that conversation yeah. because there is a time when he was a very important defender oh, for this team. The other one I wanted to mention, because he's, he has escaped... Uh, any any references to him is the scorer of the third goal in this game who sealed it up and had that moment at the end walking out in front of the fans, mm. you know, did his little dance, got to appreciate them before he yeah. leaves for new pastures, is Frank, Frank, Frank Kessie. Kessie, Yeah, Look, I've got a lot of feelings about how he's handled this whole situation and I won't be the first person to say it, but he's handled it so poorly. But sure. I'm glad that he's leaving and we know he's leaving. This isn't like the Chalonoglu Donnarumma situation last year where they won. Well, Milan made the Champions League big moment after the game and they're getting all excited and then they just decided to walk. Mm. Chalonoglu signs for Inter, you know, had a good laugh at seeing the old screenshots from his announcement video of him saying that he wanted to win the Scudetto again and, you know, he's back at the Sud Ciro winning the game but not winning the Scudetto. Um, but at what cost? Yeah, but look, as well, Kessie has been a great servant for Milan. Um, he's scored some important goals throughout his time. He's had some important moments. He is a polarizing player. I have. I won't be the first person to say it again. I won't be the last that he's hasn't. That there's been a lot of frustrating moments with Frank Kessie, but his discipline yeah, with sure. the way he plays. But it was nice to see him get that last moment. I think it's just now's a good time to close that chapter. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was a nice um, parting gift. Yeah, shall and, we say to have sealed it up. Yeah, and I think the other moment that got me like, and I, I felt it the most. You know, actually, just thinking about it was uh, speaking about players who deserve this opportunity. Was I was just thinking about players who had been at Milan, who had been there for so long, and didn't have that opportunity to have that success. Uh, through, through that period of, of dark times. And one player that came to mind was Giacomo Bonaventura. And he left before the start of last season, mm-hmm. but he left before Milan could play Champions League. He was their best player for so long throughout yeah. that period. Even, um, even I, I can't believe I'm saying this, even guys like Suso. You know, Suso had some big moments for Milan at times. Um, he hasn't had that opportunity to be part of it. The other guys... Donnarumma, Chalonoglu, they fed themselves and they decided they wanted to leave and they made their own beds. As far as I'm concerned, if they feel upset about missing out on yesterday, they had the opportunity to stick around. They didn't. So seeing, you know, Mike Mignon have that chance and be part of something special like that. Yes, they were special. All those players, all of them, they they deserve this. And, and, And Stefano Pioli as well. So look, congratulations to Milan. I can't wait already for next season. 
I can't wait for the off-season to see what they do. Um, without this becoming just a Milan tribute show, we probably should move on. But again, they've proved a lot of people wrong, and they're only going to get better. With the sightings that they want to make this off-season, whoever it might be, mm. they, they can only go up from here. And it, it just makes it makes next season in Italy, I think, all the more interesting because the calibre of coaches in all of the big clubs is is significant. And Juve, they're down, they're down bad. Think at the about moment. who they've already signed. Exactly. And Paul Pogba's back. They yeah. brought in Di, well, Di Maria. I mean, he's a bit washed, but Di Maria still has some quality. Yeah, you know, but they it, they they will they like will more than likely be back mm, next season. Inter, they will probably be back up there. Next yeah, they'll season, probably yeah. bring in a few more. Napoli, Roma are going to be better with another season under Mourinho. Exactly, you know? exactly. Like the, I, I look as much as Milan have won this one next season. I, I don't think they're. I think it's going to be maybe. Well, it's maybe it was tight this yeah. this year, but even tighter with potentially more teams involved next year. But it's fantastic for the league. To have oh, yeah. competitive teams because now this is when these teams need to translate this into Europe. Into Europe, it is about damn time we see some relevance and, of Italian. And put the teams word out there that we back up. We back up, yes. We back up. And Milan, I tell you what, them being back in the Champions League and being a force in the Champions League next season, I really hope we get that. So we'll wait and see what we have in store. But before we go to a break and touch on a bit of the other news that's going on, the other title race over in England, the, the crazy title race, um, Salernitana staying up with a 4-0 loss. So <laughs> they got spanked by yeah, Udinese got, at home. But Cagliari drew against Venezia, who decided not to go to the beach, but decided to, you know, play spoiler. Cagliari, I think, had over 30 shots on goal. But the game ended nil-nil. So in the end, Cagliari go down, Salernitana stay up. It's a great story that Davide Nicola has been able to keep Salernitana in Serie A. Really excited to see them go again next year. There's going to be some big names coming out from those three relegated sides um, from Genoa, Cagliari, Venezia, who will be on their way out. One by the name of João Pedro, who I think is going to gain a lot of interest from some good sides. And as well... One player from Venezia as well who could be on his way to the R-League men's by the name of Nani. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So in the end, Salernitana, another season in Serie A. Yeah. Can't wait to see them back there again. Yeah, I mean, Cagliari, some of the players are going to have some difficult nights thinking about a few of the chances that they spent, particularly oh, Nandes, um, uh, Belenova as well. Mm-hmm. Had a few big ones that he, he should have saved. João Pedro as well, but I guess he's probably already got his mind Firmly set. Where I mean, who were who the from this side? Who were who were the most likely to sort of from Cagliari? find another? You, you would say the João Pedro and and, and Cranio are the yeah, most. Likely. I think. Is I there think, anyone else? I think the majority of this team will probably get picked up. They've actually got a lot of a lot of quality in this squad. Cranio definitely. Uh, Bellanova, he's a good young fullback. I think he'll get picked up. Nandes, mm-hmm. I think, will definitely be picked up. Both Pedro and Pavoletti, I think, will find themselves back in Serie A. Keita Balde as well, I think, wouldn't be surprised to see him back in Serie A next season. Uh, Lovato is a young centre-back. He'll be, I think he's out on loan from Atalanta. Uh, yes. So he'll be back, definitely back in Serie A next season. Kevin, Kevin Strutman's not going to be Kevin playing Kevin Strutman, I, I don't know if he'll be playing for Cagliari in Serie B, and I don't think he'd be, getting, like, he'd be the first name on people's lips to be picked up. But, hey, he'll be around... And if you're looking at Venezia, I mean, there'll be a few of these guys. I think they'll be on their way back. Ethan Ampadu, who's still on loan from Chelsea. Mattia Caldada. I mean, again, as I mentioned, Nani on the way out. 
team down here. So we'll see what happens with that. But in terms of promotion to Serie A at the moment, so next year, if you're keeping your eye on that, will be brought, well, it's the return of Cremonese, a very historic football club in, in Italian circles. We haven't seen them in Serie A for a very long time. And also Lecce, who have Lecce. been who were, who were up in Serie A a few years ago. It's good to see they're coming back. I've always got a soft spot for Lecce. Um, because you think about Lecce, proper Serie A sides, like, you know, vintage Serie A. Lecce's right up there. They've still got Massimo Corda up top, who's been around for donkey's years. Um, He's going to be that guy leading the line again. But one spot remaining, well, a couple, no, one spot now has been determined. Two-legged playoff for the final spot between Monza and Biza. So we're going to get another another new team coming up next season. Monza who are actually owned by Silvio Berlusconi and have Adriano Galliani on their books as well. I want them up there, man. Like they've got think about like they've got some serious NRI names like Gabby Paletta, uh Luca Marone, they've got Marco D'Alessandro, um what else have we got here? Uh just scrolling through. They used to have Jeremy Menez a while ago. They had they had Balotelli for a little bit, but he's outscoring five goals now in Turkey in a game. And also Pisa, I mean Pisa, big name city. Who wouldn't want to go to an away day in Pisa? Mm. Uh, they've got some decent players of their own, but they're also a very young team too. So I'm looking forward to seeing who comes away with that final promotion spot next season. So keep an eye on that. But Lockie, let's take a really quick breather when we come back. Yeah, believe we'll, it or not, there was another title. <laughs> there was. And we'll, we'll, we've got to kind of rush through it because obviously at the end of the day, uh, we do need to get off the airwaves as well. That's but true. anyways, you're listening to the Euro Show, brought to you by GIS, Global Institute of Sport. If you want to start your career in sport, sport business, head over to gis.sport slash FNR for more, informa- for, nah, for more information. We're back just after this on the Euro Show with all the latest from the Premier League, how the title race played out, how the relegation battle played out as well. Mm. And even we'll throw in a bit of a cheeky reference to the fourth place. Uh, sort of race there between no, no, Arsenal and Tottenham we as well. We're back in just a second here on FNR. Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to get about you, did you? You don't have to get about you, did you? Attaccare! Welcome back to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Tabano and Lockie Flanagan here today. Miss any of the show? Make sure you head over to the FNR podcast platforms. Go catch up with all our latest discussion. Well, we went through 45 minutes of oh, AC Milan, Milan discussion. With a sprinkling of, of relegation battle as well. Obviously, this show today is as well brought to you by GIS, Global Institute of Sport. If you want to launch your global career in the football industry and study a master's degree in football business or football coaching and analysis, head over to www.gis.sport. You can learn online with unique access if you're here in Melbourne to the MCG. Who wouldn't want to learn at the MCG? But if you're based abroad, you can go do the same thing in the UK. You can go hang out with our friend Thomas Flukabaku, who lives across the road from said Wembley Stadium, where you can actually go yeah. study. Unfortunately, I don't have a... Usually, I like to do a bit of a Flu Manchu uh, Instagram update. No, we don't have sort one. of related back to, to GIS. But sadly, no Instagram stories from uh, from the great man. But no. he still will be sitting on his balcony 
uh, watching over you as you sit in Wembley and uh, well, attend is... your classes in, uh, in coaching and, and analytics is the, yes. the latest one. Yep, and uh, obviously he's a former GIS alum, so make sure you exactly. get in touch with him. He'll be able to. He'll be sitting the there up in the uh, if, up in his towel up with in the, the, uh, the motorboard and just tip it to you as you're, yes. you're walking down that that big Wembley ramp. Well, you can also go learn at the Eddie Had Stadium, which was also the home of an incredible finish to the Premier League title race this morning. Indeed so it was. Manchester City are champions. They got it done, but it wasn't without a scare. There was a moment where we started to feel like history was repeating itself from 2012, and it did, but to maybe a bit of a less dramatic you yeah, know, and no, it, did, it didn't fair. go down to the, the last kick of the game. It was kind of sorted out a little bit more. But at one point, it seemed as if the improbable was going to happen. Aston Villa ahead, 2-1. They were actually took the lead through Philip Coutinho. There was a seven-minute window. They were 2-0 up at one point. No, sorry, they were 2-0 they up. Were, so there was, were, there was a moment, 2-0 up with 15 minutes to go before Ike Gundogan scored a double either side of Rodri's equaliser. Three goals in five minutes. Man City win 3-2. Liverpool beat Wolves 3-1, but it was not enough. In the end, City, much to the joy of Pep Guardiola, who was bawling his eyes out after the game, are champions yet again. Yeah, and it, it look, it took a, an absolutely Herculean effort to sort of pull that um, out of the, the proverbial in, in the space of five minutes, when you only had 15 minutes remaining in the game to do so, is... Is a is a pretty mammoth effort. Um, look, I can't help but feel like Pep Guardiola and Manchester City fans will. There might be a small part of them in amidst all the celebrations that looks back on this and think, "Hang on, if we're capable of doing this, why couldn't we sort of replicate this sort of uh, in the winning Champions never League. say die mentality in Europe?" But I guess that's exactly maybe that goes some way to explaining exactly why they were able to achieve what they did because. This is a, a competition they've grown accustomed to winning this group of players now. They know what they're capable of and they know that they can pull it out of the fire in the way that they did. And it came with some absolute quality. I mean, uh, Gundogan getting that initial header at the back post, um, the finish from Rodri with the side foot on the edge of the box. I mean, we've we've seen him do that quite a few times this season, that yeah. first time finish from the edge of the penalty area, but none of them even coming close to um, the level of importance as that one to level things up and then Gundogan tapping home at the back post. One of those classic whipped-in flat Manchester City crosses that goes across the entire face of the goal. Keeper can't get it and then someone's there to knock it home. And in this case, it was it was Gundogan. Um, Mo Salah obviously got the, the, the go-ahead goal mm-hmm. for Liverpool in the second half and he thought he'd done it. He, he was celebrating so, so much. But he had someone, I don't know if you've seen the photo, yes. Nick, but he had someone in the crowd tell him, that the score at at City was three two yep. to City now, and and he that his goal hadn't delivered the the return that yes. he thought it had, and you saw him walk away like not being able to sort of believe what had happened. Just kind of like what the hell, like all of that, yeah, for nothing. Yeah, it was. Um, look, it, it's it's tough for for Liverpool, but the thing is, if they win the Champions League, you know they've they've done a treble. They're still going to look back at this as as a massive, massive season, one that will go down in in history because that's still a massive achievement. It would have been much sweeter if the Premier League had have been wrapped up in it as well. But I, I think most Liverpool fans, especially if they get the result uh, against Real Madrid, they'll still be holding their heads up pretty high. And meanwhile, for City, look, it's a hard one. It's a hard <laughs> one to sort of make heads and tails of because 
obviously winning the Premier League to do it when you have such a competitive opponent in Liverpool, always a great result. But uh, in much the same way as, as Melbourne City in Australia, this is kind of to pull the, that sort of um, achievement and win your domestic competition is almost like the expectation now. Yeah, it, it is. And, uh, well, Man City got a few wins over top four sides prior to the final uh, day as well. Yeah, and then that, that was why it was almost it was almost interesting to see um, Pep so emotional at, yeah. the, at the end. I mean, great. I mean, literally any time awesome. a footballer or a, a, anyone associated with football is showing any emotion, it's always a good thing. It's nice yeah. to see. But I was like, wow, he's, he's crying over like the, clearly the, the tense nature of it must have mm. meant a lot to yeah. him. Um, and I guess he kind of needed this in the, in the context of everything else that had happened. So a Absolutely. big result for him. And I, I did quite enjoy seeing him uh, do his slide in the uh, dressing room in his, in his underwear. Didn't expect to, um, to see Pep Guardiola in his jocks. Uh, that was not, <laughs> not something he had on the 2022 well, bingo list. But uh, yeah, there we go. Well, Lockie. In the bag. There's your sliding. There was your sliding. There was your sliding. Um, In terms of some of the other results this morning, Leeds staying up with basically the final kick of the game. But they're already staying up, I believe, at that point. I think a point would have been enough. Well, yes, they were. But it was to to make sure of it. They were because Burnley were down 2-1 as well at Newcastle and missed an incredible chance late into that second half that would have leveled things up and made it really, really interesting. But then Jack Harrison got that goal again from the edge of the box. To seal it up. And if you haven't already found it uh, oh, on go Twitter, go well, not just watch the goal, but watch the Leeds commentary oh, yes. of the goal. I think I think Richard Bayless might have shared it on Twitter. I would be surprised. It's got the Leeds, Leeds com- the club commentator, and Tony DiRigo as well. And they are just going. Like, again, I, this is like the hill that I would die on. The one big gap, the biggest gap, and it's not the quality of the players, it's not the attendances, the biggest deficiency we have here in the Australian game compared to... I know what to you're going to say. Is we don't have dedicated club commentary. It's so good. It's so, so good. Even just to have as a moment to share around yeah. the unbridled passion. Tony DiRigo going buck wild over the top of his play-by-play commentator. And they're just saying, I need to take a breath at the end. Like, we need that. It's it's so good. And I'm delighted for, for Leeds that they have stayed up yeah. because I think they've contributed a lot, um, not just, you know, historically, but in the season since they've been back. And to be honest, Burnley have probably... Overstayed their welcome. It, well, it, it, it's probably time that they had a season in the second division. I think I think, I think, think Leeds contribute more to the fabric of this league than, yeah. than Burnley do. Absolutely. So I think most neutral fans, as well as Leeds fans, will be pretty happy with that outcome. Absolutely. And the other outcome that went in the favour of Tottenham is Antonio Conte got it done. He got them into the Champions League. They got the job done 5-0 against Norwich. Arsenal beat Everton 5-1 as well. But but it's a a fifth. You know what, though? It's a pretty decent outcome for Arsenal. Fifth, like you got to, you got to say when you look at how the season started. Yeah, it's, it look, it's disappointing for Arsenal fans right now. But I think if the Arsenal fan of today went to the Arsenal fan they were at the start of the season and said, "You'll finish five, you'll be a point away from finishing fourth," um, provided they didn't know that they would be finishing a point behind in fourth for, with Tottenham, uh, they probably would have. I think most of them, yeah, nine nine out of ten of them would have, A, been surprised, and B, definitely would have uh, taken that outcome. But also I think a lot of credit has to go to uh, to Tony Conte and to, to Tottenham as well because after the start they had to the season, uh, not many people would have foreseen 
uh, what's happened since. Yeah, uh, it was a very dire start under Nuno Espirito Santo, yeah. but now they've really turned things around. Um, we've got to power through these next little bit, but as mentioned, you know, obviously we talk about the teams coming back up next season, Fulham and Bournemouth will be joined by one of Huddersfield or Nottingham Forest. What was I saying before about teams who contribute to the fabric yeah. of the Premier League? Fulham and Bournemouth. No, I love, I like Fulham. Fulham, like Fulham. but we know what's going to happen. Fulham, a bit like Norwich, just the peak yo-yo team at the moment. So, but hopefully we can get some continuity of Fulham in the first division. Like if Mitrovic could score 40 goals in the top division instead of just, you know, stats padding in the I, championship I really, I really like he does. So. I feel like Fulham are a team who are capable of much. Well, we've seen yeah. you know, over the years they're capable of much more than what they are right yeah, now. Yeah, and it'll be good to see them stick around for quite a while. But they're a great, they're a great club. Craven Cottage, awesome stadium. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's quickly power through this last little bit. Um, mm. I want to ask you about Kylian Mbappe before we get to the Scottish League Cup final. Oh my god, yeah. He's basically become the GM of PSG with this new deal. Like it's pretty insane, right? Like he's earning this ridiculous amount of money over the next three years to stay. And we all thought he was off to Real Madrid. The El Chiringuito guys can't believe it that he's sticking around at PSG. But he's basically now has power in the tra- in what transfers PSG make. It's absolutely bonkers. We talk about like GM LeBron in the NBA. So we now have GM Killian in the in league next season. I hate this. I I hate this so, so much. Like I get that Killian, Killian Mbappe is probably almost 100% certain to be the world's best player over the next mm. decade. But is any one player worth not just the level of money that's involved in this, but worth the level, ceding the level of control that is at play here? Like I just, I can just see this going so, so, so wrong. wrong. And, and it also worries me because I, I think players have already got especially in tandem with their agents, significant power in the current footballing ecosystem to be bringing them in to give them the scope to make decisions that they are not necessarily specialised to do and could very easily become quite fracturous if someone pisses them off. Um, I just... Look, PSG were toxic enough. Um, We don't have time to go into the off-field stuff. They were toxic enough uh, as as an entity without... Decisions like this, yeah, um, it might go well. They might win the Champions League. But I just, I just don't see how giving someone who is, you know, so so young, you know, twenty three years of age, <laughs> this much, le- he is not equipped to run a football no. club or have this level of say. I just, ca- no. I ca- I'm sorry. It might go well, and I'm happy to be wrong if it is. But I cannot see this going well, and it is another. Uh, series in the saga of mismanagement um, that we've seen over the over the stretch at PSG, throwing yeah. money at things for the sake is not yeah. is not always the answer. There has to be more, and PSG just don't seem to learn that lesson. And honestly, I'm quite happy that they're not. I don't want them to win the Champions League. I don't think many do. No, I, ho- I no. hope. I hope you know DOF Mbappe. Runs him into the ground. I hope they make him play a manager. I hope it's a complete catastrophe. Okay, before we go, Lockie, I want to ask you about your experience at the Imperial Hotel on Sunday morning. Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, Hearts, unfortunately, the result didn't go their way. A tough 2-0 loss in extra time to Rangers. Yeah. But let's talk about the experience because, I mean, the viewing experience for, I mean, it's a, it's a say. I mean, watching a... 
Hearts game in Melbourne. Bit of a niche football. Like, are, you, are you surprised the level of support of that there is for Hearts in Melbourne? Or? I will be. I will be honest. I took one of my uh, one of my friends who I went to um, Europe with a few years ago. Went to a Hearts game with him uh, here, and before we were going in, um, I basically made the the caveat to him. It's like it's probably going to be like just don't get your your hopes up too much. Probably going to be like. 10 to 15 middle-aged dudes and then we'll be younger, but we'll like have a good time. We'll yeah. make a good night. Um, and also at the Imperial, the Melbourne Jambos as they're called, we, we were told we were given our sort of own room. So I was like, oh shit, I haven't really been, oh, excuse me. Uh, you know, I haven't really been there before. Um, I don't really know if I'm going to be able to find anyone. Yeah. I get to the door, the big double doors of the Imperial. I open them up, look towards the bar. The first thing I see is someone standing there wearing a Rudy Scatchel jersey. And I think, I have found my people. I have found my people. I went down, got myself a drink, and every single screen in the back half of the the bottom level of the Imperial is playing Scottish Cup final replays. And the full back room, it was probably like, I would say, 50. Wow. 50 people. Uh, at the start of the game in that room, maybe some of them were filthy casuals, but quite a few of them were dedicated Hearts fans. And I've got to, got some videos when the chants went up. Like, it was a great noise. It was a great, great atmosphere. And the first half in particular was awesome. Some of the most fun I've ever had <laughs> being a Hearts fan. Um, you know, the next 45 plus the extra time yeah. were the complete opposite. opposite. Uh, it was extremely painful from halftime Rangers always looked like they were going to win. Um, I can't really get into the ins and outs of it, but it would have been a lot worse watching that game by myself without another bunch of Hearts yeah. fans nearby. And, like, some people travelled from Canberra. There was a dude from, um, there was a dude, from, I think, from South Africa wow. who was, like, on a work trip. And just happened to come just across, happened, yeah. Yeah. So there was a guy from Colac who came down. There were some dudes who came down in a bus. Wow. There was a dude from Adelaide and someone who was on business from South Africa That's insane. that came to Melbourne. Well, I'm going to ask you, Lockie. Sure. Was it a better fan experience than having Passatempos at Minton Co. for the Euros final? And uh, the whole experience around uh, that? Because it was my team, yeah. it, look, it not like doesn't compare. No, no, to, I know, I know, it doesn't I know. compare to the, the Ligon Street sort of um, scenes after the game. But it, it it was up there. It was it was a really really good yeah. night. I had a had a very enjoyable time. I uh, got to see two Aussies play for Hearts. Um, interestingly, some of the chatter that I picked up is uh, people are very interested in the idea of Marco Tilio maybe becoming another uh, member of the Australian Hearts Brigade. I for one would be very much in favour uh, of that. I think he'd really fill a need for yeah. Hearts. Um, so yeah, watch watch this space. Get on the watch phone, this, Lockie. Watch this space. Get on the phone. Make yeah, it I mean, happen. how do you think all these Aussies have ended up in Scotland? Yeah, there's got to be something. There's something saying, there. Look, if, what are you if, doing, if mate? there are any Australian players who want to uh, get up to Scotland, just uh, drop drop me a line. Um, I'll put you in touch with my my secret agency that I definitely don't have. I think that's where we should leave it. Yeah, I prefer really not to speak. Anyways, well, it's time for us to say goodbye on this Monday evening. Um, Champions League final this weekend. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get through to that, but quick predictions for it, Lockie. Who wins? I just think Real are going to do it. Same. I think think they're going to bleep house their way through the whole knockout phase. Ancelotti's eyebrows going to go up at 60 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) My man is going to say... 
and, and they, they, they will that, win that 3-0. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say Madrid wins 3-2 coming from two goals down. Ooh. And it's going to be a Rodrigo-inspired comeback again. 2-1 extra time, Benzema brace. Nice. There we go. Nice. There's your Swift. Well, there's your there's your French score in Paris as well. There's your prediction. There's your, there is your prediction. Well, there's your sliding. But anyways, uh, time for us to say goodbye on this Monday. Miss any of it, head over to Spotify, head over to wherever you get your podcast, catch up on all of it. We spoke Premier League, Serie A, especially Serie A, and especially AC Milan after they won the Scudetto this morning. Spoke a little bit about Kylian Mbappe as well, or any of the other programs we've got here on FNR. Make sure you head over to Spotify and catch up with all of those. But for myself, Nick Tabano and Lockie Flanagan, we'll be back next Monday, another edition of the Euro Show post-Champions League final edition. Uh, and we'll see you then. Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get about you, did you? You don't have to get about you, did you? Attaccare! Attaccare!